You got you guys be seated. I don't treat my wife good all the time. I'm not that special. I can tell you that much. But uh, no, it, it is always a joy to be here with you, and I'm so thankful to uh, to God for for what He has done and what He is doing. This is a very special place for for me and for a lot of people. And God is at work. You know, I, I, sometimes when you're right in the middle of something uh, that's that's going on and it's uh, it's great and, and it's exciting. Sometimes we become too familiar with uh, with what God is doing, with uh, how God is moving, and and even the leadership here. And I'm so thankful for Clay and Andrea and the, and the the leadership team in, in this church. I mean, it's clear by the fruit that we see today, and you know what's been happening over the past few years that 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 God is the one that is uh, doing this work, and, and you are in good hands as far as the leadership goes. I mean, I, I think you guys know how special Clay and Andrea are, and I'm not just trying to be flattering, but you know what? October's Pastor Appreciation Month, you know? It's a month. It's not a day, and, and I know you guys have already celebrated Pastor Appreciation, and, uh, you know, but uh, even though that was a, a great time, and, you know, we, we set that time aside specifically to uh, honor our pastors, it, it has to become more than just a, a one-time thing. Because encouragement is something that uh, is so necessary. One man said that encouragement is like oxygen to the soul. You know, everybody needs encouragement and everybody does better when they get it. You know, so when, when we talk about encouragement and, 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 and trying to be a, a blessing to other people, we have to be able to see that that is all of our callings. And, and that's kind of what I'm going to talk a little bit about today is the power of encouragement. And although it doesn't seem like it's a deeply spiritual thing, I want our church to understand that that is what God has called all of us individually and collectively to do. Sometimes the greatest thing you can do to further the gospel is encourage somebody else to to further the gospel. So I'm so thankful to be here during this particular time, this this particular season. I've been traveling a lot, a lot in the in the past several weeks, and uh, we'll continue to travel the next uh, three weeks up until Thanksgiving. And I leave on December the fourth for Romania, exclusively for the purpose of ministering to pastors and, and leaders in in Romania. I'm going to go with a guy. His name is John Delinsky, and, and this guy here, his 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 life story. He was raised in communist Romania. And, you know, under communism, it was a very difficult time, severely persecuted. And long story short, he was able to escape Romania in the wintertime. And it gets brutally cold there, and they have uh, huge snows. He jumps into the river after being shot at multiple times by uh, guards in these towers. And he swims across the river and uh, ultimately ends up and becomes a refugee in the United States. He makes his way to Dallas, Texas, where he graduates for Christ from, from Christ for the Nations. And he, he says, I'm never going back to Romania again. And so, obviously, that was not, uh, that was his plan. It wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to send him back. And so he goes back, 
and he begins to minister in, in his native country. And from that point, he has planted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches. He's, he's built uh, uh, colleges, Christ for the Nation Institutes. He, he has a, a, a national ministry. So we get an opportunity to go there. You know, it's truly, and I'm humbled to even say this, but it's truly an opportunity to speak into a nation. You know, the Bible says that we're called to disciple nations. And one of the ways that you disciple nations is you speak to the leaders of these nations. And I'm from 313 Town Branch Road. You know, no, nobody that I knew of was kind of doing that stuff. And I know that I do not qualify to do that. You know, one person said, you know, what makes you feel like that you're qualified to, to do all that? I'm like, I, I don't. I guess all the qualified people said no. But, uh, you know, either way, that, that's a, it's a wonderful, and I covet your prayers, and, and not just covet, I, I depend on them. I don't say that as just uh, a, you know, religious jargon. You know, I, I, I need your prayers because th these are levels of ministry that uh, stretch me, and even though I've been doing this for a while, you know, to, to have an opportunity to step into a place that, uh, that you can maximize the, the impact of, uh, of the kingdom by speaking to the lives of leaders um, it, it's truly humbling, and it's, it's truly an awesome, awesome uh, opportunity. So, so pray for me. I, I've been in, uh, I've been in Western Kentucky. I've been in Madisonville. Been in Benton. I've been in Apeyard. I've been. If you don't know where Apeyard is, it's right down below my house down here. It's, it's hard, pretty hardcore area, but uh, God's at work in Apeyard. But uh, I've been in Barberville. Then, of course, I'm here now. Then I'm leaving. Next week, I'm going to, where am I? can't remember where I'm at next week. And then the week after that, I'll be back in Western Kentucky. And then, hopefully home for Thanksgiving weekend. And then I leave in December for that. But I also had to do a wedding for my nephew just a couple of weeks ago in Florida. And I was sitting down, and I was talking to him about marriage. And uh, was doing a little bit of counseling. And I, and I told him, I said, listen, the, the great psalmist David Lee Roth, you, you know David Lee Roth, right? His praise, his praise team's Van Halen. But, uh, you know, the great psalmist David Lee Roth said there's three rings in marriage. He said there's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and there's the suffering. And, and so I was trying to prepare him. I said, you know, I don't often quote David Lee Roth, but at this particular, and I don't recommend that you take relationship advice from him, but that was a pretty good point. But anyways, so we, we were able to get them married, and uh, it, was, it was a beautiful ceremony. But uh, uh, again, I, I appreciate you guys so much. I'm so thankful again to be here with you for uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. And, and I want to share some information with you that's going to be very practical, but I believe it's powerful. Because God wants to create a culture of encouragement. You know, the word encouragement actually means to strengthen under pressure. Every single person here this morning needs encouragement. Every one of us need encouragement, and every one of us should be a source of encouragement. And encouragement is a culture that we want to create because people do better when it's provided for them. And if we see encouragement as a legitimate need for ministry... I want to I want to challenge you to to see this as a corporate ministry and a way that you can provide encouragement for your leaders here at this church. So I want you to turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number nine. I want to talk to you about Barnabas and uh, how he's an unlikely hero. Now, Barnabas is uh, 
is, is an amazing man. He has a lot of credibility with the early church. God used him uh, prolifically, and he used him specifically in a powerful way to minister and help raise up, in my opinion, other than Jesus himself, the greatest minister and most successful minister that has ever ministered uh, since Jesus came. That's the Apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter 9, we're going to read a couple of verses here starting at verse number 26. And if you're there, say amen. It says, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, Paul had encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he had had a powerful encounter with Jesus, and it was radically life-changing. But when he's trying to uh, connect with the, the disciples in, in the early church, they were afraid of him, and they did not believe in his conversion. Now, imagine going to a church where, you know, you've encountered the Lord, your life's been radically changed, and so when you come, say, to this particular church, nobody believes you. Nobody wants you. Nobody trusts you. Everybody is, is judging you. That, that, that's what's happening, and, and I don't want to be too hard on the disciples because this dude did do some damage early on in his, in, in his life. He, he had Christians put into prison. He, he murdered Christians. He actually held the clothes of those that stoned Stephen to death. Uh, in, in Acts chapter number uh, 6, I believe, or 7. And, and so, you know, he has a little bit of a reputation. But he has met Jesus, but people doubted his conversion. I mean, I, I can kind of identify that a little bit because when I first got saved, you know, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic for about 10 years. And after I got saved, uh, I had people, you know, they said, you know what, I'll give him a month and he'll be back doing what he was doing before. Well, after I made it a month, you know, they give me an extension. You know, I said, well, I'll give him six months, and I know he'll be back doing what he, you know. And after I made it through six months, you know, they, they said, well, I'm going to give him another extension, you know. And after a year, you know, finally, it took people about a year to, to actually think, Man, this, maybe, maybe he did get saved. Maybe something changed. But imagine that. So here he is. He's encountered the Lord. He's trying to join uh, this group of disciples. They are afraid of him, and then they don't even believe that he's been born again. But one person spoke up on his behalf. Now, notice the power of one man's voice to stand and represent and endorse another man and the impact this man had on the rest of the disciples. Now, let's look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the disciples. Now, look, he speaks on his behalf here. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now, Paul couldn't say anything for himself that would calm the fears of the disciples or cause them to believe in him. But because of Barnabas' credibility, because of his integrity, because of his reputation, because he was a true man of God and they had seen his life over the years, 
he could speak on behalf of Paul and say, listen, let me share on his behalf. I believe this man encountered Jesus. I have seen him preach boldly in the name of Jesus. And listen, I want you to receive him. Now, here was the response. First, they rejected him. Now, Barnabas speaks up, and he speaks on Paul's behalf. Now, here's the result of what Paul, or Barnabas says for Paul. So he, Paul, was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. I mean, where would the apostle Paul be without Barnabas in his life? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. I pray that you would bless your word today. Speak to our hearts. Give us clear instructions. Give us revelation knowledge. Help us to create a culture in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, in, in, in our church. That, Lord, that we may be a Barnabas to somebody to be a blessing and encouragement. Strengthen somebody today that's under heavy pressure and minister and lift their load in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, if there's anything that I've learned in ministry for nearly 25 years is that pastoring's tough. It's not an easy thing. It's very difficult. It, it costs something. You, you have to pay a price. You, you have to count the cost. The demands are, uh, are far exceed what you expect that you're going to experience and you know, one man said that in order to be a pastor, you have to have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the skin of a rhinoceros. Charles Spurgeon said this to a group of young pastors in his pastor school. This was the advice that he gave them when they were pursuing their call to pastoral ministry. He says to them, if it's possible for you to be happy doing anything else other than ministry then by all means, do that. I mean, that's the advice. You know, his advice was don't do this if you're not called from God. Don't do this if you have an alternative uh, outlet, if you've got a plan B. You know, if you've got a plan B, take that plan B. Avoid this route. Don't commit yourself to this unless you are fully assured God's called you to do this and that this is the only thing that you can do and experience full happiness and contentment. Why? Because ministry is hard. Now, George Barna and Focus on the Family and Fuller Theological Seminary did a survey on the state of the pastorship in the United States. And when you look at this study, it reveals just how difficult and how demanding and the toll that ministry is taking upon pastors. Let's look at some of these statistics here. If you want to know how challenging pastoring is, 1,500 pastors a month leave the ministry and they never return again. 1,500 a month. 90% of pastors say that they feel like they are inadequately trained to meet the demands of ministry that they face on a daily basis. 80% of pastors say that the ministry has negatively affected their family life. 
70% of pastors say they do not have one close personal friend that they can confide themselves into. Not, not one. And nearly 50% of pastors say that they have reached a place where they had experienced depression and burnout to such a degree that they had to take an extended leave of absence from the ministry. So when we're talking about ministry demands, I, I want you as a church to be able to see just how difficult this is and then be able to relate that to the existing leadership that you have in this church. I mean, we know that Clay and Andrea are special. Listen, and when you've got them, listen, in my opinion, you've got the best of the kingdom. They're some of the greatest leaders, and I've been around the world. They're some of the greatest leaders that I know. And I'm not saying that to be flattering. I'm saying that to be honest and truthful. But the problem is sometimes when we're around them all the time, it's very easy for us to become familiar with them. Now, I'm not saying that we should just you know, put them up on a pedestal or, or go to an extreme to where we're, you know, we're just you know, almost worshiping them. Because you know what? You see that kind of stuff. It's kind of goofy. But what I've learned in my years of ministry is that most of the time, people go to one or the other extreme. In, in one extreme, what they do is they overdo it. You know, they almost, you know, make the, the, the pastors and the leaders uh, almost deity. You know, there's, there's uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then this spiritual leader. You know, that's error. That, that's wrong. We, but the Bible says we're supposed to honor our leaders, right? The Bible says we're to give double honor to those who lead specifically in the ministry of the Word. But not just that. The other extreme also exists. The other extreme, and this is where I feel like a lot of uh, our, our churches, not, not just this church but the church uh, abroad in the United States is that we don't do anything at all to honor them we just assume that you know what that this is what they're called to do that they don't even really need encouragement they're so spiritually strong they're almost spiritually bulletproof right because they're so close to God they don't even need me to pray for them and we, they, don't, they sure don't need me to give them advice or encourage them and so we don't do anything but I want you to know something honor is the culture of the kingdom. Honor is critically important, and there is a reward for those who understand and put honor into practice. Now, let me give you a quick example of that in the life of Jesus. In, in the Gospel of Mark, there, there's a story where Jesus is on this ministry tour. And Jesus is doing just unbelievable works in the ministry. The Bible says he was so anointed that virtue was shooting out from him. Now, I don't know that you get more anointed than that, right? It, listen, if virtue is shooting out of you, I mean, people are being raised from the dead. Lame people are, are, are walking. Lepers are cleansed. Demons are being cast out. Blind eyes are open. That's a pretty good season of ministry. So he's on this ministry tour, and God is healing everybody. But the very next chapter, the Bible says that Jesus enters into Nazareth. And once he enters into Nazareth, this is what the Bible says. It says that he could not do many miracles except heal a few sick people. It didn't say that he wouldn't heal people. It said he could not heal people. Now, let me ask you a question. Did anything change with Jesus? Is Jesus the same guy in Nazareth as he was on the other season of ministry when virtue was flowing out of him, was shooting out of him? 
Nothing's changed in him. Why couldn't he do in Nazareth what he was doing in the other places of ministry? Why is he less anointed in Nazareth than he was in these other places of ministry? And the Bible gives us the reason why. The Bible says that people looked at Jesus and they said, don't we know who his father is? Don't we know who his brothers and sisters are? Wouldn't he raised up on Goose Rock somewhere? You know, didn't he graduate from, from Hacker Elementary? Don't we? And the Bible says that they were offended with him. In other words, in their eyes, Jesus had become familiar to them. And because he had become familiar to them, their view of him blocked the blessing of God in their lives. Now, my point in saying that is this. Oftentimes, the honor we show determines the miracle we receive. Let me say that again. Oftentimes, the honor we show determines the miracle we receive. So does it matter how you view Clay and Andrea? You better believe it does. Why? Because there's a reward that is connected to the gift of honor that you show. Jesus said it like this. He said, he who receives me doesn't just receive me, but he receives him who sent me. So when you reject Jesus, you don't just reject Jesus, you reject who? The Father, right? So Jesus is either the God-man or he's a good man. But a good man can't save you, but the God-man can. So how you view Jesus oftentimes determines the miracle that you receive. Jesus said this, He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a disciple in the name of a disciple will receive a disciple's reward. So the honor we show unlocks the reward that we receive. And so when you are looking at the leadership that God has placed, and I think every one of us can agree that Clay and Andrea are God's man and woman for this church to lead. You agree with that? So the question is this, how do you see them? How do you honor them? Now, I'm not saying that you just, you know, lose your mind and go crazy, but I'm just saying it's important for us to be able to see them in the right way. And Jesus makes this statement after he could not do many miracles. He said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. So let me warn you with this. Don't become too familiar with God's leadership that he's placed in your midst because he has sent them here for you. That's important for us to get. I mean, I'm convinced that uh, the reason why we see so many, you know, great demonstrations of, of, and manifestations of God's power overseas is because of this one thing, and that is the gift of honor. You know, when you go to Africa and you're in this bush here, okay, and there's nothing there. The people receive you in a different way. You personally don't change, but in their eyes, they don't just see you. They see Jesus in you because they know only God can motivate somebody to leave America where you have everything that you want 
and come to their particular village where they have nothing that they can even give you. So they say, you know what? Only God could send this man here to us today. Therefore, we need to take heed to what he's saying and receive what he has come to tell us from the Lord. And it's really just that simple. So they don't really see me or they don't see Clay or they don't see Alan or whoever's going there. They see Jesus in us, in them, because they know God has sent them. And the principle's still the same right here. And I want to challenge you to, to challenge yourself to see Clay and Andrea as God's man and woman that has been sent here at this time for such a time as this for you and this community. Don't get familiar with them. You know, Judas was familiar with Jesus, but John was intimate with Jesus. There's a danger that's associated with becoming familiar. Now, let me give you three examples of, of relationships that we all should have in order to live a life that is fulfilling and will ultimately help us fulfill the purpose God has for us. Everybody should have these three relationships. I'm going to encourage you to write these down. Get a tattoo on your forehead. Whatever you got to do. Remember this because you'll never fulfill your potential or your purpose without these three relationships in your life. Number one, everybody needs a Paul in their life. And what I mean by that is everybody needs somebody that's pouring into them. In other words, everybody should be being discipled by somebody, right? So not only do we need a Paul in our life, everybody needs a Timothy in their life. In other words, we need to have somebody that we are pouring our lives into as well. In other words, we all should have somebody that we're discipling. And the third relationship that we should all have is a Barnabas. Everybody needs somebody to come alongside them and walk this Christian walk and relationship together to walk it out in order to fulfill God's purpose and to reach our potential. Without Paul, without Timothy, and without Barnabas, you will limit what God can do in your life. Everybody say this with me. Paul, say it again. Paul, Timothy, Barnabas. Paul, Timothy, Barnabas, do you have those three relationships in your life? If you don't, you're limiting what God can do. Because there's no such thing as a self-made man. You know, I say this all the time. Have you ever seen a turtle on a fence post? If you ever do, I promise you, it didn't get there by itself. And neither will you. There's no such thing as a self-made man. All of us have had help along the way. And you know who helped us? A Paul, Timothy, or Barnabas. God forbid that we forget those people that's helped us along the way. Now, let me give you three things that I see in the life of Paul and the role that Barnabas played in his life. And how each of us and all of us can be a Barnabas to somebody. Now, Paul, like I said earlier, in my opinion, other than Jesus himself, Paul was the greatest and most successful minister that's ever lived. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He planted churches. He trained leaders. 
and he took the gospel all over the known world during his lifetime. And one of the main reasons Paul was so effective in doing this type of ministry is that Paul understood that, that one is too small a number for greatness. Paul is always doing ministry, but he's never doing ministry by himself. So we're always reading about Paul and Timothy, Paul and Silas, Paul and Titus, Paul and Barnabas. There's always somebody that he's partnering together with, and he's never doing ministry alone. Even Jesus sent the disciples out how? Two by two. Listen, two heads are better than one, even if both of them are empty. Some of you really know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are slowly getting it. It's starting to read a little bit early, but you're getting there, okay? It's all, it's all good. So let me give you three examples of the role and the impact Barnabas had. Num number one, first thing I see in P Barnabas' relationship with Paul is Barnabas believed in Paul before anyone else did. Now, we read about this in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. He says this, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, and they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, how he had spoken to him, and how he preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. You know, believing in somebody is a very powerful thing. Did you know believing in the best of people oftentimes bring the best out of people? Believing in the best of people oftentimes brings the best out of them. It's kind of like searching for gold. You know, when you search for gold, you have to remove tons and tons and tons of dirt in order to discover where the valuable treasure lies, right? And the same is true with our lives. You know, if you're looking for true treasure, and this is what I believe that we have here in Clay County, what we have here at City of Hope Church, is that we have true treasures that are sitting in these seats today. The Bible says we have this treasure in earthland vessels. But it's easy to find and discover dirt on people. Don't be the people that look for the dirt. Be, for the, be the people that look for the gold. There's treasure inside of people. And when you walk down the street or when you go into Walmart or when you're at school or you're at work, I want you to be able to see the value in other people. Listen, there's one thing that is more rare than potential, and that is the ability to see potential and others everybody desires to be somebody and if you treat everybody you meet as if they are somebody then they will become somebody to you so it's important for us to to believe in people you know I don't believe that drug addicts want to be drug addicts you may have a different idea than, than I do but listen nobody grows up as a child say I want to be a drug addict when I grow up Nobody grows up. Listen, some of you, you're at a place in your life right now where you never intended to be. And whatever you've done in your past, whatever dumb decisions you've made or however many times you've blown it, this is where you're at right now. And you deal with guilt and shame and, and embarrassment. And you know what? You struggle with giving up almost on a daily basis. But let me encourage you this morning. Listen, you and God have been able to make it through 100% of the most difficult days in your life life thus far if you've got a pulse God has a plan 
He's not finished with you yet. We're all under construction. And it's not how we start, it's how we finish that matters. So Paul, he does have a past. He does have a little bit of a reputation. But Barnabas still believed in Paul. Barnabas believed in Paul before anybody else did. He believed that he was truly converted. He believed that he was truly changed. He saw the commitment. He was convinced that he's encountered the Lord. He saw him preach, and he not only believed in Paul, he was willing to put his reputation on the line to say, this is why I believe in this man. Now, let me give you four facts of faith, and this is true for all of us. Number one, most people don't have faith in themselves. Number two, most people don't have someone who has faith in them. Number three, most people can tell when someone has faith in them. And number four, most people will do anything to live up to your faith in them. Now, believing in people, like I said, or believing in the best in people oftentimes brings the best out of them. You can raise people up simply by believing in them. You know, how many of you, you've been around a little, little child, and you look down at the little child, and you're like, boy, you're getting big. And you know what that little child will do all of a sudden? We made a mistake. John, our, our youngest boy, he, well, we didn't make a mistake. We did it on purpose. His mother's ruining him. But, you know, he, he walked in his first homecoming. And he had this big jacket was about five sizes too big. But he felt like he was pimped out in Jesus' name, okay? He comes walking out of the house, you know, getting ready to go to the homecoming. He comes walking out the house like George Jefferson or Conor McGregor. I mean, his mother instilled, instilled a lot of confidence in him. Listen, he, he felt like he felt good. He felt like he looked good. And you know what? He did look good, but his coat was five sizes too big. But he'll grow into it. You know what? That's true for all of us. You may not be everything that you want to be, but just look behind you because you're definitely not what you used to be. A lot of times when we don't receive encouragement, we look in our past and we think, has God really done anything? Or we look into our future and we say, you know what? I've just got so much farther to go. Encouragement makes a difference. Here's the second thing I see. Paul not, or Barnabas not only believed in Paul, Barnabas endorsed Paul, verse 27. But Barnabas took him, brought him to the disciples, and declared to them how he'd seen the Lord on the road, how he'd spoken to him, and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You know, to be the kind of encourager that Barnabas was to Paul, it takes more than just believing in people. It requires you to stand up on their behalf. And when you endorse somebody, what you're doing is, you know what, you're saying, I'm going to put my reputation on the line. I'm going to... Speak on this person's behalf because I do more than just believe in this person. I have confidence in them. Most people don't have confidence in themselves. Most people don't have anybody that has confidence in them. Most people are starving for somebody 
to have confidence in them. And people will rise to the level of confidence and expectation you have in them. It works in a lot of different ways in our lives and relationships. But Barnabas says, you know what? I don't just believe in Paul. I'm going to stand in on his behalf. And he puts his reputation, his integrity, because the disciples had heard of Paul's reputation. But they had seen the way that Barnabas lived his life. And as soon as Barnabas stood up and spoke on Paul's behalf, the Bible says they welcomed him they embraced him, and we'll see just how important that was and the impact that Barnabas had on Paul's life and the global impact that Paul had on the world as a result of Barnabas's encouragement in his life. Now, he didn't just invest, he endorsed. Now, those of you that know Rick Clendenin, he was the spiritual father to me. And, and he told this story of this uh, elderly lady that was in his home church that was just the most encouraging woman that, that he had ever met, most encouraging person. He said, when I first got saved, he said, I struggled. I still had a lot of bondage in my life. I still had a lot of strongholds in my life. And he said, you know what, I was living a hypocritical life, and, and, and I was going to quit church. He said, but there's this one lady in our church. Her name was Aunt Alma. And Aunt Alma would always find him at the end of service, and she would walk up to him. He'd already determined that I'm quitting church. I'm never coming back again. But Aunt Alma would come up to him and would just smack his jaws and pinch his cheek and say, That's my boy right there. Um, you're going to be here Sunday morning, ain't you? He said, I don't know how that woman knew that, but I made up my mind after this Wednesday night service, I'm never coming back again. So, you know, Thursday comes, Friday comes, Saturday comes. I'm not going to church tomorrow. But then he wakes up Sunday morning and he thought, you know what? I told that woman that I'd be at church this morning. And you know what? She's old. She may die. I'm going to go this morning. And this is my last Sunday morning. I'm never going back again. He said, so I'm going to keep my word. He said, I go back. You know, and I'm thinking, oh, get this service over with so I can quit and never come back. He said, I don't know how she found me, but she always found me. At the end of Sunday morning service, she walked up to me, and she smacked my jaws and pinched my cheeks and said, that's my boy right there. I'll see you tonight, Warner. And he goes, man, how did that woman know where I was going to be at? He's trying to find a way out without her finding him. But he says, you know what, I'm not going back Sunday night, but you know what, church time comes, and he says, you know what, I'm going back because I told this woman that I'd be back tonight. She's old, she may die, but this is my last Sunday. I'm not coming back again. He goes back, you know, has Sunday morning or Sunday evening service. He's getting ready to leave. Guess who meets him at the door? He's walking at noise. I'll see you Wednesday morning. He said, that woman did that for me, to me for 22 years. He said, and when I left my home church to go pastor my first church in Dallas, Texas, she met me with big tears in her eyes and tears in my eyes. And she looked at him and said, I knew you was going to make it. I knew you was going to do it. And he said to her, how'd you know that I was going to make it? She said, because baby... I wasn't going to let you fail. What's the point? Be the reason why somebody doesn't give up. Be the reason. Imagine getting to heaven. 
and somebody coming up to you and say, you know what? You're the reason why I didn't quit. You're the reason why I didn't give up. Because here's what I know. Every one of you have felt like giving up and quitting at some point in time. Some of you are at that point right now. And God's saying, I'm not going to let you fail. I'm right here. He's got an Aunt Elma waiting on you when you leave to let you know you're going to make it. You're going to be all right. Now, here's the last thing. He didn't just believe in Paul. He didn't just endorse Paul. He empowered Paul. Now think about what this dude has accomplished. We're still reading two-thirds of the New Testament because of what he's done. This man at one time was dependent on Barnabas. But God was going to raise this man to supersede him in the ministry. Now how many of you would want to empower somebody that will overshadow and overshine you in their life and ministry. How many of you could be trusted to encourage and connect the next Apostle Paul that's going to impact the world, that's going to overshadow what you've done and outshine you, and they're going to remember more of what he's done than what you've done? That's who Barnabas was. He wasn't looking for the credit. He wasn't looking for the pat on the back. You know why? Because leaders don't keep score. Leaders keep giving. But what he did for the Apostle Paul made it in the book. And if you make it in the book, I promise you, it's pretty special. I mean, who would have thought that encouragement would have such a powerful impact? So he empowered the Apostle Paul. And how did he empower him? Barnabas' endorsement of Paul empowered him to take his first steps in the ministry. In the beginning, nobody even believed that he was really converted. But because Barnabas stood in on his behalf and connected him to the apostles and to the disciples, he was able to step into his calling. You know, I, I think about what Rick Clendenin and, and Dale Yurton have done for me in, in, in my life. Nearly every single place that I go, in every place that I preach, I stand on a platform that I didn't build. You know, I, I stand in a pulpit that I have no business standing behind and preaching. Simply because those men invited me into their lives, and they discipled me, and they molded and formed my life, and, and included me on their mission. And now, as a result of that, because they, their lives have had a global impact, you know, when, when Rick and Brother Yurton says to the world, gives you the thumbs up, the world says, won't you come on? As I'm going to Romania in December, not because of anything that I've done, not because I'm great, not because I'm special, not because, you know, I, I'm somebody, but somebody endorsed me. Somebody believed in me. Somebody empowered me. And they're not going I'm going on their behalf, but in essence, they'll actually be going because what they've instilled in me has given me the opportunity to stand where I'll be standing. Had they not been in my life, it would never have happened. That's the way God intends ministry to work. 
That's the way God wants us to be. He wants us to be people that empower others. You know what? 99% of the problems in the local churches would be completely eliminated overnight if we would just start empowering people and encouraging people. But for some reason, we think that becoming a professional fault finder is a gift from God. I mean, listen, how come that, you know, there can be a hundred things good that's going on, but most people you talk to have something negative to say? You know, sometimes telling people just to be themselves is the worst advice you can give them. Did you know that negative talk is demonic? When you think about Moses, for example, you know, this is the power of silence. Those of you that know the story of Moses know that Moses was unable, and then go ahead and come to music. Moses was unable to fulfill his calling because of how he did not honor God one time in front of the Israelites and he died on the other side of the Jordan River, never entering into the promised land. But the question I want to ask you is this. Who killed Moses? How did Moses die? If you read the story, you know, they went around this same mountain for 40 years. I mean, imagine... Imagine leading a congregation of people for 40 years nowhere. You know how many pastors are doing that in the United States today? You wonder why people want to quit the ministry? You ever notice that people that don't want to do anything want to do it with you? You ever notice that people that aren't going anywhere want you to go with them? But as soon as you start growing, as soon as good things start happening, as soon as you start taking your journey, you're no longer making, you're going around a new mountain, you get ready to cross the Jordan, you've got people that are ready to pop up and just name every negative thing about why you shouldn't do what you're doing. You know, some people say that Moses was leading two million people. And at this particular time in Moses' life, there were three things that, that happened. First thing was he, was he was spiritually discouraged. And who wouldn't be? If you led a group of people for 40 years nowhere, that's pretty daggone discouraging. <laughs> right? I'd want to quit too. I've wanted to quit for less. I've told people before in the past, I feel like I'm the only person that can't quit my church. True story. But his sister also passed away in the wilderness. And Moses had done a lot of funerals in his life, but this one was personal. His sister had died, and she was kind of like the women's pastor. And, and because she had died, he was emotionally wounded. And so he'd been spiritually discouraged, emotionally wounded, but he was also physically exhausted. Why? Because, listen, leading people is exhausting. It's even more exhausting when you're dealing with the spiritual, mental, emotional stress of leadership. 
Because in the lives of Moses and the children of Israel, leadership had become, what have you done for me lately? And that's a pretty accurate portrayal of what it means to be a leader. And so, his condition's very vulnerable, and he acts out out of frustration and anger. And I would say, even though it was wrong, I could understand why he would act out that way, right? Instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock. Water comes out, and God says, you know what? Because you failed to honor me in front of the children of Israel, you'll not enter into the promised land. And I believe when God told Moses that, it killed him. Why? Nobody wanted to go into the promised land more than Moses. But you look at all the circumstances around it. Scripture records all of the negative things people are saying. They grumbled and they complained. They mur murmured. They grumbled, complained. Murmured, grumbled, complained. Mur Were the encouragers. Surely out of two million people, not everybody thought that Moses was doing a terrible job. Surely out of two million people, somebody would say, Moses, you know what? You're doing a good job, Moses. You know what? We're going to get into the promised land. It may happen tomorrow. We're right on the brink of entering into the promise of God. We're going to do it, Moses. We're behind you. We're with you. Where are those encouragers at? You know where they're at? They're silent. hear that that kind of silence when you're in desperate need of encouragement is a killer I ask you a question have you been silent towards your pastors when's the last time you said you're doing a good job God really spoke to me through the message today. I'm excited about being a part of this church. I, I pray for Clay and Andre all the time. I won't say that I worry about them, except I worry about them. Why? Because the more the church grow, the greater demands become. It's hard. I've been there. But I want to challenge you. This is, not a, this is not an indictment against you. I'm just saying, if you've been silent, silence is a killer. And all of us have the ability to be an encourager. And I'm going to give you just a few practical ways you can do that. And then I'm getting out of the way myself. I'm going to encourage you by quitting. But Barnabas endorsed Paul, empowered Paul. He helped him take his first step into full-time ministry. Helped him take his first step in on his missionary journey. He didn't just leave Paul. He walked this thing out with Paul. And he empowered Paul to do things that he would have never been able to have done if he had not had that relationship in his life. See, anytime God wants to take you to a new level, he brings you into a new relationship. 
Now, what was the result? Go to this last slide. What was the result of one man's conversion? Look at this. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. One man's conversion. That would have never happened without Barnabas. I believe Barnabas' greatest contribution to the early church was the ministry of encouragement he provided to Paul. You, my brothers and sisters, are Barnabas. And you've got a Paul. Are you encouraging them? So how, how do we do that? How do we do that? Let me give you some simple, simple things. First of all, you've got pastors and leaders that are not lazy. They're not hirelings. They give you in this community everything they've got. Every week. Week in, week out. But another thing's this. Even though they give everything they got, they also equally feel like they're not doing enough. That's why they need encouragement. That's why they need to be strengthened under pressure. 1,500 pastors a month leave the ministry and never return. So what can I do? Number one, this is what you can do daily. This will make a difference. See, what you do and what you don't do matters. Just like in the life of Moses. Daily, you can pray for them daily. Now, don't just say you're going to pray for them. Actually do it. Pray for them daily. It won't cost you a dime. You don't have to reach in your billfold for that one. Number two, Weekly. Here's another simple way of encouraging them weekly. Be here. Be here. Uh, unless you know, there's a, a legitimate reason why, be here. Just show up. I promise you it makes a difference. Because they think about you and they wonder where you're at when you're gone. And as the church has grown and the bigger it gets, the more difficult it is to keep up with everybody. But I guarantee you they both today looked around and tried to figure out who's not here. Guarantee it. But you can encourage them by being here. You can also encourage them by just simply saying, you know what? That was a great word today. Or, Andre, I know how much time and effort you're putting into the children's church and all the other things that you're doing. I appreciate all that you're doing. Won't cost you nothing, just a few seconds of your time. Here's another thing, monthly. You know, I, I get those messages on Facebook. We've had a lot of babies born here, and, you know, we ought to take care of these, these new moms and children. But what about our pastors? Surely there's enough people in here. You don't want me to cook. I promise you. But what if we organized a team strictly to be the men at Barnabas Ministry, and we provided meals for their family once a month? You know, if we've got 12 people, you know, that's willing to do that, you don't have to do it once a year. I paused for an amen. It didn't come, but it's all good. See, he can never say these things, but I can. There was time I couldn't, but I can now. I feel good about it. 
quarterly. Send them on a retreat. Send them on a little getaway. And annually. How about this? How about making sure they have a great vacation where they can create memories with their family and let the church pay for it? Let's take a vote right now. All those things are simple. So here's my question for you. What are you doing daily? What are you doing weekly? What are you doing monthly? What are you doing quarterly? What are you doing annually to be a Barnabas to your leaders? And not just that. Everybody here needs that encouragement as well. Stand with me. With your eyes open. And heads up, let me ask you this question. How many of you, let's be honest, how many of you have dealt with discouragement this week? Maybe easier. How many of you have not dealt with discouragement this week? Anybody? So 100% of the people have dealt with discouragement this week. You know what that looks like to me? Opportunity. You know what that looks like to me? ministry because there is the gift of encouragement but you don't have to have the gift of encouragement to do this I'm not very good at stuff but I found out people do better with one of these than one of these so who do you need to encourage today do you need to be encouraged how many of you want I feel like giving up. I feel like what's the use? I feel like I can't take this anymore. I feel like this is going to be my last service. I came today, but nothing's happened for me. And I feel like giving up. If that's you, let me encourage you. Hang in there. Help's on the way. helps on the way. God wants to encourage you this morning. So if you're here this morning, let's pray. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that has come to their rock bottom and they've reached this point to where they've tried everything else, they've done everything they've known to do, and they are truly at rock bottom and they're needing you to come in and rescue them in the middle of their mess. If you're here this morning and you're at that rock bottom place and you need Jesus to come rescue you. You realize that, that you're not saved and you want to give your life to Jesus. And on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand straight up, straight back down. I won't call you out. I won't come back down and get you. I just want to know that you're here. That's you on the count of three. Just shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Amen. Somebody else? Somebody else? you're here this morning and you are genuinely discouraged and you need to be strengthened under pressure I want to invite you just to get out of your seat make your way up here to this altar and let us pray for you go ahead and sing I want you to come right now